Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by the Doctor Amongst Men, Duncan Joyce. How's things, Duncan? Hello, Lee. Glad to be back. Hope everyone's well. Um, I've been really enjoying your work with Richie, by the way. Oh yeah, we've been digging into some proper nostalgia in 1993, so I need to hit him up for the next round of that, actually. Mm, Yeah, good stuff. Have you been? I've been well. Um, as I was saying before we jumped on, pretty much every, life's back to normal for me up here. I'm at work. Um, the only real difference is I now get to work from home two days a week, which is amazing. But yeah, back to normal, out coaching football, working during the week, kids are in school. So not really any change for me now. How about yourself? Still working from home here. Um Next month, we're going to start going into the office one day a week. Um which people aren't particularly pleased about because well, my department is all um, working in IT and software, so we don't really understand why we need to start coming back into the office already. Um, but, yeah, um, here in Manchester, we've got a, a slightly stricter set of measures than everybody else because there's still been a, a little bit of a creep in terms of the rate and stuff, so we can't meet anybody in our own homes we can't meet anybody in people's private gardens but you can go to pubs and restaurants just so long as you you stick to your own household and you can meet open in open spaces in groups of less than six people so there's not quite not quite the normalcy here yet but it's getting a little bit better fingers crossed hey that we slowly start to get back to normal obviously everyone's health is first and foremost and i don't want to go into too much in that because i am not a doctor amongst men (laughs) Um, but but, but yeah fingers crossed the world moves on i'm certainly hoping that we're going to have at the very least crowds back in football stadium sometime next season because watching the um watching the football from over here with the piped in crowd noise reminds me a lot of these thunder episodes and that's not a good thing (laughs) that's an amazing analogy <laughs> Stop just short of doing the DDP version of that's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know who else doesn't have crowds? Your mama. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. There is um there's some fun stuff to dissect here. Um, oh man, I tell you what, it's a definitely pretty early on becoming a tale of two shows. Um I I recorded and released an episode last night as well actually from a year prior to this. Um I think it's about the fourth or fifth episode of Heat versus Thunder. And even way back then, the WWF could pretty much go on autopilot and whip WCW's backside. So, oh, man, man. it's getting ugly pretty early. A lot earlier than I expected it to. Yes, I'd say so. I think we're going to have a few weeks in the wilderness here and then there'll be certain personnel changes that might bring in another kind of crazy but we'll have to see what that will bring. Yeah, and look on the on the flip side to that. This is only the second worst episode of Thunder I've watched this month. So could, <laughs> I've watched two, so it's the be- also the best episode of Thunder I've watched this month. <laughs> so it could be worse. Um, speaking of comparing and contrasting the two shows, um, I'll just send a quick shout out to the guys over at the Monday Night Chores podcast. Um, a pr- pretty new show. I listened to their first episode last week. They're pretty much following the same series that I'm following and as someone that thought this was a great idea four years ago and some weeks goes, what am I doing? Good luck, boys. Like, <laughs> I hope you make it further than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so I suppose we should probably tell everyone what we watched. We watched the um, 2nd of September 1999 episodes of SmackDown and Thunder, picking up where we left off last time with Kyle. And that's sort of where we've decided to carry on down for the time being. The two shows um, had a pretty diverse rating split here. Thunder was down to a 1.9, whereas SmackDown picked up a 3.7, which wasn't a huge number for them, but by comparison, it is pretty whopping. Um, We'll hopefully find out why pretty soon. But what did you think about those ratings, Duncan? Mm, Yeah, I mean, it still kind of makes sense. SmackDown's fresh. Thunder, um, we'll get into here you had to do a bit of digging in to realize this but thunder was live this week probably it sounded like it didn't make a hell of a lot of difference it certainly did not um (laughs) (laughs) you know how like some people online will comment about like calling spots and stuff they hear in the ring i've always been able to just absorb and not really notice and the piped in crowd noise was something that way back when i don't remember ever noticing but god on these episodes of thunder it's definitely hard to miss now Mm, yeah and by the way if you've not caught up with our uh, first foray in the thunder and smackdown head to head definitely go and check that out because that was an absolute riot (laughs) yeah oh man which one did you end up watching first lee i've learned my from my mistakes from last time i'm eating my veg before i have my pudding i went with thunder first (laughs) i haven't learned from that mistake but i think for the process of this we should probably head in your direction and do thunder first (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) Oh, man. Let's head over and get started on Thunder. Show that, show that to Sting. I don't know. I... What did I tell you, Stinger? Look at the picture. I verified it. That's the White Hunter. Lex Luger has an opinion proof, but now let's go back and let's review the videotape. This is from June of this year as we try to answer the question of who drove the Hummer. You like me to sport it? Wanna go for a ride? Get him! So Thunder starts with a quick clip of Lex Luger showing Sting a picture of Hulk Hogan in front of a white Hummer. And this is something I've only ever heard about and never watched. It's the white Hummer angle. Were you excited for this when you saw it? I marked out so hard. I can't believe it. It's like, it's not a white Hummer, Lee. It's the white Hummer. Come on. (laughs) This is right up there with the... um, most amazing of vehicle angles of all time. Think Austin getting run over to have it revealed as Rikishi. Think Vince blowing up a limo to avoid paying out a million dollars every week on TV. Oh, anytime vehicles get involved in wrestling, just brilliance in shoes. <laughs> Unless it's WWE Crush Hour. Oh, sick burn. I, I actually owned that. <laughs> I wanted that game oh. so much, but for some reason I didn't get around to it. I love like those like vehicular assault games and things like that. You know, like um, oh, what was it called? Vigilante Eight and 
Carmageddon. and I was hoping you were going to say yeah. that. <laughs> That was proper brilliant computer gaming at its finest. People will never understand. (laughs) (laughs) That Destruction Derby. I've just got recently for the Xbox, um, now that shops have opened back up again and I could get rid of my remaining CEX credit, I got Wreckfest, which is kind of like a spiritual mesh of Destruction Derby and an old racing game called Flat Out. And they have these like little destruction derbies in the round where you're racing on lawnmowers and it's pretty fun. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I'm actually c- kind of uh, in a bit of a holding pattern for games right now because I'm trying to decide if I want to buy any of my, you know, sort of favorite games or just hold out until the end of the year and get a PlayStation 5. But the lore of FIFA will probably stop me doing that. And even more importantly than that this year, a re-release of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. So going to show my age and definitely dive back into that. Oh, that's going to be good. Anywho, let's stop avoiding talking about Thunder. <laughs> the, <laughs> the commentary team, Mike Tanay and Larry Zabisco, um, they show us the footage of the White Hummer smashing into the limo. So basically, Macho Man got Nash in the back of a limo, drove it into place and jumped out, and a White Hummer came along and smashed into it. And... A recap of Lex Luger trying to pin this on Hulk Hogan, who is back to red and yellow. And am I? Did I write this down correctly? Hulk is the champ again. He is, yeah. Um, he beat he beat Macho Man for the belt the night after Bash at the Beach, and has had it ever since. Um, yeah. So um, he's we're back to kind of like babyface holding pattern Hulk Hogan here. Although, did you hear him um, when? Luger started accusing him of uh, this vehicular assault. He said he was, Oh, brother, I was just eating fruit and being cool backstage <laughs> when I heard Lex flapping his lips, brother. <laughs> oh, man, it's proper, like, mid-90s WCW um, Hulk Hogan, you know, right before the, the heel turn when he was just at his unbearable worst. So I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> the state of Larry and Mike's polo shirts, I thought, was very kind of mid nineties corporate. Awful, awful sports. stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, the show's in Saginaw, Michigan tonight. And so Larry quips, "We might be in the state of Michigan, but Sting is in the state of shock." <laughs> really, really good stuff from Larry Zabisco, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and we go to our first match DDP's taking on Al Green Take me to the river No, 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 not that Al Green, sorry <laughs> Oh man, I just <laughs> Some of the names on these shows uh, We get a quick heel promo from DDP Or at least I thought it was going to be quick And then he did rabbit on a little bit um, Nothing special from here Al comes out, and it's actually Rage of the Wrecking Crew, so I'm glad to see the back of them. They were not my favourite tag team. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Paige's going on about Goldberg, and they're going to fight a fall brawl, I think. Um, lots of confusion about whether Goldberg is going to be here or not. Yeah, that's quite often a, a staple of Thunder, whether big-name stars are actually there or not. <laughs> <laughs> So Paige quotes that Owl actually looks a little bit like Goldberg, but a lot better than Goldberg, actually. And then he goes, I wish I could say the same about your mother. 
<laughs> I was going to actually mention that. Um, this has got to be right around the era of that TV show with the guy from that 70s show hosting eff- effectively Yo Mama joke battle raps. <laughs> yes, you mentioned this. I've still not gone back and found this. Oh. But what, how is this DDP's gimmick? I don't know, but like, it was probably topical at the time. I'll have to splice a little bit of that show in just to um, give you a sample of how truly terrible it was. And I don't know who thought this was going to last more than five minutes on the air. Streets of Los Angeles to find the city's real trash talkers. We got the clowners on right now. This is your show, Your Mama. His mama's so fat she can hear bacon cooking in Canada. <laughs> Man, your mama's so your mama's so old, her memory in black and white. Damn, I'm the champ. I'm here. After Gabriel took the Chatsworth crown and Terry dominated Olympic Park versus Chatsworth, it's going down now. You look like you got it at Ross. (laughs) You look like a Mervyn's mannequin. (laughs) Did you come to say your mama jokes or tap dance? Your mama's so stupid, she tripped over a cordless phone. <laughs> Your mama looked like Cedric the Entertainer with a wig. You look like Kanye East. Gabriel! Damn, I'm the champ, I'm here. When we get started, um, Al attacks DDP for the horrendous joke about his mother. DDP, however, is having none of that. Back suplex, neck breaker, the crowd chant for Goldberg as he hits the diamond cutter for the one, two, three. He took an absolute ice age to go over and pin him, though. It was a bit of a shitty thing to do, and this actually earned DDP my dick move of the week for pretty much making Al Green look like he was washed up and on his way out of Motown. Oh, interesting. I thought it was a pretty cool version of Diamond Cutter here. He did, like, the crucifix and spun around, like, you know, that DDT the Rock would do. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, big squishy squash squash here. I kind of liked Paige asking for a replay of the finish when he was done. Yeah, some good heel stuff. I don't think DDP... I I think DDP and Goldberg um, both hadn't run the sort of hadn't finished their face gimmicks when they were switched heel in WCW, in my personal opinion. I guess a lot of people got switched backwards and forwards, but I think there was a lot of juice left on in the tank with those two, a lot of money left on the table. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, Tanae brought up their Halloween Havoc match last year and um, saying that now DDP is even more focused, so he might actually stand a chance of beating Goldberg. Mm, we shall see. Mm-hmm. Our next match is Dave Taylor with um, William Regal taking on Shane Douglas. And this was a group of people I never thought I'd see interact on TV. Um, yeah, Regal obviously between his two stints in the in the Fed and Shane Douglas out of ECW. So a bit of an interesting matchup, this one. 
Yeah, very peculiar mix. There was a sign in the crowd. It said Shane Douglas, the real franchise, but Douglas was spelt with two S's on the end. <laughs> Douglas. Douglas! <laughs> When we get started, we get a, a suplex from Douglas and then a Mr. Perfect style neck whip where he floats over and snaps the head. Dave Taylor works over the leg. Regal goes for some interference, but it's quite sloppy. Uh, this backfires and Douglas hits the Pittsburgh plunge for the one, two, three. Then Chris Adams comes out, another name I didn't expect to throw into this match and nails Shane Douglas with a flag. This brings out everybody, the first family, Revolution, um, there's bodies everywhere. In the end, Revolution stand tall and Shane Douglas cuts a promo he basically says that, you know, he asks the crowd one by one if each of the Revolution are the real deal, ending with himself. He accepts a no-DQ match at Fall Brawl, and then Malenko cuts a promo and ends with their catchphrase, out with the Evolution, in with the Revolution. So, yeah, Batista, Flair, Orton, and um, Triple H were not going to stand a chance if they were around in this time. <laughs> I thought it was kind of awkward. Malenko started cutting his promo while the Revolution's music started. Like guys, I wanted to get a word in as well. It was a bit. It was a bit like they, when especially when you see them come back out later, where the other two guys take turns on the mic. It was like they all had to have a turn, but Douglas had too long Mm. of a promo for them to do it here. Yeah, but Douglas can certainly rub it on. Um, (laughs) I thought it was funny the fans were chanting "USA" at the evil British heels. Um. Did you see Hugh Morris, the state of his beard? I can't say I noticed it. There was people everywhere, so oh, I definitely didn't pick up on it. He had, like, cheek-only sideburns. So it's, it's kind of like the opposite of, like, regular sideburns. Like, the cheeks were filled in, but the jawline wasn't. Oh. From what I can remember. Yeah, fucking terrible. And, um... Tanae was getting in on the whole revolution catchphrases, and he said that the revolution is the solution. Ooh. <laughs> I don't think that's going to stick, but good on him for trying. Yeah, I don't think it will either. What did you think to um, this segment? I didn't mind it. I thought there, was not, there wasn't a break between people running out, so it was almost like you were jogging beside your enemy, but we'll start fighting once we get in the ring. Mm, sure. I think the match is too short to really mean all that much, but I was kind of surprised at how decent Douglas looked. Um, Then the post-match antics, they're all right here, but I'm worried this is going to be like a a holding pattern for Thunder here where they just take a trope in wrestling and bury it into the ground over and over again. I would not be shocked if you are right on the money with that prediction, but we will see in weeks to come. (laughs) (laughs) oh man we go to um, our next segment which is a commentary team talking about Berlin as though he's a brand new character and we see a film clip for him I this is a complete Ludwig Borger ripoff for me and it's not a good one it's just Alex Wright being repackaged as some sort of like cross between the Matrix and Romper Stomper and talking about the fall of the Berlin Wall that was fucking years ago mate you've been dancing for 10 years it kind of bothered you that much (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I got a bit thrown by this because last week they kind of leaned more into the Matrix side and this week they're kind of leaning into the generic Eastern European heel side and I kind of want the Matrix guy back, to be honest. Yeah, it's, this is not doing it for me at all. I'm a big no-no on them just 
pretending like but they they don't they sort of pretend like he's brand new but then you know they say things along the lines of like we know he speaks english so like is he new or do you know him which is it hmm Anywho, next up we go to Kaz Hayashi taking on Bret Hart's toughest opponent to date, El Dandy. <laughs> when I saw Kaz came out, I marked. And then when I saw El Dandy come out, I marked even harder. Jesus. <laughs> and, and in proper Taka Michinoku style, the match basically gets started with a plunger from Kaz Hayashi. Like, it's one of the first moves and it doesn't mean anything. Do you reckon El Dandy looks like the inspiration for Nacho Libre? Oh, he he has that um, Southern American dad look to him. Yes, it just if you picture um, Jack Black losing a mask first mask match and then coming out to wrestle again the next week, that's El Dandy. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, he's a tough bugger, that Al Dandy. He backflipped out of a backdrop, and I thought he nearly broke his neck. It looked really rough, but he seemed fine. So, you know, who am I to doubt Al Dandy? Yeah, absolutely. If Brett thinks he's tough, he must be tough. <laughs> <laughs> we get a, um overhead belly-to-belly from Kaz and a Rana, a springboard DDT, and then he finishes him off with a top rope senton. So it was a little bit of a squash for Kaz, um, but that's not where the squashing ends because out comes Sid with Charles Robinson holding a sign that says 75 and 0. Sid hits a choke slam on Kaz and a powerbomb on El Dandy, pins El Dandy, and the referee counts for some reason, and I guess that counts towards the Millennium Man's body count. Yes, uh, he's still doing this delusional thing where he's counting beatdowns. And did you see as well, Little Nick updated the sign to say 76 and 0? Oh, that's class. I never noticed that. (laughs) That's amazing. I'm glad that... He's got the foresight to bring someone with a sign now because we know from last week that he can't keep up with his own record. <laughs> and does it? did this count as one or two? Uh, well, he only pinned one guy, so I guess he's only adding one. Oh, that's very, very big of him. <laughs> he's a big man, even though he only has half a brain that we do. <laughs> he cuts a pretty terrible promo. I, I'm a big fan of Sid promos normally on Goldberg and on Chris Benoit and on the year 2000. So I'll splice a little bit that in, of that in here, but it's certainly, it's no Jericho Millennium Countdown, that's for sure.
No, that's for sure. Another promo here where his music starts playing and he's still jibber-jabbering away. It's almost like they're trying to um, award ceremony, get them out of the ring, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's class, that. What did you make to the match beforehand? Yeah, a bit of a squash. I I don't mind Kaz Hayashi. I've seen him a few times now, but... Because he doesn't really have a character that I'm familiar with, I kind of just want to see him in the ring with guys I know. Um, I suppose this is probably pretty typical of WCW Cruiserweights. If they were in there with someone you cared about, the match would be phenomenal. But when you throw out two guys that you don't really know much about, it doesn't really do much for me, especially in a squash like this. Hmm. Yeah, this is definitely more of a Kaz highlight match. And I, I liked a good portion of his offense here, even though there was some sloppiness. Um, I, I just like the idea of fresh faces in the cruiserweight division as well. Like, um, Kaz seems like a kind of prospect, and like I remember him being around when I was still watching WCW. So, I'd be interested to see where he ends up. Now, when you say fresh faces in the cruiserweight division, I don't think this next match is probably what you were hoping for. But we find out that we're going to get a cruiserweight <laughs> title match, and our champion is fucking Lenny, who comes out with Lodi. No, not that Lenny, by the way. He doesn't come out with Carl. My year, March. Everyone knows I'm what makes this city great. I don't know. There's a lot of buzz around Lenny. Lenny, Lenny, he's our guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, cheer up, Homer. The drinks are on Lenny. I don't want your pity booze. I'll pay for it myself. Uh, I gotta check with Lenny on that. Uh, is that all right, Lenny? Nope. Lucky Lenny's buying all the drinks tonight. Sorry, Homer. <laughs> <laughs> he's there with the title belt and <laughs> his dog X kicked in. Please don't tell people how I live. <laughs> oh, my God. It's Lenny, but <laughs> it's, he's taking on Billy Kidman. Um, and my first note is just how the fuck did Lenny become Cruiserweight Champion? Oh my god, it's... This makes me... Reminds me of, like... Like, 1991 WWF. Like, they've been ransacked just about everybody from the territories now, and, oh, we got to have the Nasty Boys as tag team champions, because, you know, we're scraping the barrel for fresh people here. Um... Lenny had, did you see all his little bowls that he had on the title belt? Yeah, I've put here that he's put um, ribbons across the belt. It's not quite customization on the uh, level of John Cena's US title. No, it's not right up there. Um, Why does he look so much like Chris Jericho? That's a good point. (laughs) It's a very good point. Oh, man, this match, when it gets started, we Kidman's all over him. A big clothesline, a power slam. Um... Every time, by the way, um, Duncan, I don't know if you are a big drinker or not, but I propose if we want to protect our livers, we never start a thunder drinking game that includes a shot every time a commentary team member says that time. Oh, okay. Watch for the next one. Like Once you hear it, you can't unhear it, and they both just kick that time, power slam that time. It's every single move they say. Mm, This sounds symptomatic of... 
not really paying attention to the match itself because you've got to get over storylines from other parts of the company. Yeah, I always thought this was a Tony Schiavone thing where he just said that time after everything, but it's Mike Tanay and Zabisco, and they're both saying it nonstop. It must be like WCW's favorite catchphrase, a bit like if you watch WWE these t- these days where you get taken to a local medical facility once you've been hit with a championship title. <laughs> My big trope of the minute is... Anytime there's there's a point where both people in a match are down and Michael Cole will spoon feed you here saying, critical point of this match. Yeah, in case I needed to know that. Um, I suppose it's better than numbers game. Yes. Okay. We get a um, springboard plancher from Kidman onto Lenny and Lodi. Lodi interferes as we go to a commercial. Lenny hits a bulldog for a two and a powerbomb for a two. Kidman hits a springboard bulldog for a two, and we get a ref bump. And here's a pet hate of mine as this goes on. The referee's laying face up, but he misses Lodi coming in and hitting a DDT. However, as Lodi's getting out, he gently pats the referee on the leg, and that completely wakes him up to count the fall. (laughs) Like, if you're going to bump, face away from the move. If you are going to be down and unconscious and not notice interference, at least take a good shake to get up, but not... It's literally like... It was as though my wife was nudging me to get up because our alarm had gone off. That's how like little effort they put into waking the referee up. <laughs> oh boy. Did you spot um a bit earlier on Tanae was hyping WCW Mayhem coming out on the PS1? Oh, from memory, that's a terrible game, isn't it? Is that that's <laughs> that did not look good, yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a run of stinkers from WCW after um I can't remember what the company was called, but the, the basically they had the the games that represented on the 64 that were really good. And then that company went over to the WWF and made WrestleMania 2000 and No Mercy. And whoever picked up the WCW license did a terrible job with it. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was THQ and Aki were the developers and they did WCW NWO Revenge. And then they switched over to the WWF and did WrestleMania 2000. And... EA picked up the license um, and they're doing all these games because um, they, they want to they wanna feel like genuine sports or whatever. Yeah, the games were not good and the commentary was terrible, the graphics were terrible and um, then I think they even the last one they did I think was Backstage Assault and there was no ring and that was terrible as well. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so Kidman ends up kicking out anyway and then reverses a powerbomb into a face buster a la the X-Factor. Never try and powerbomb Billy Kidman. It will not work. <laughs> yeah, that was in my nose as well. Lodi stops the shooting star press as Kidman goes up and that earns a DQ. And then the Revolution come out to save. Um, Rey Mysterio unmasked here looks like AJ Soprano going through his rap phase when he loved Master P. <laughs> Ray came flying in with the seated sent on. Yeah, he was um down very quickly. But yeah, this this was not Ray's best look. <laughs> I, I would say so. Well, at, at least he could look at this point. <laughs> yeah, he's not lost an eye just yet. <laughs> no, not just yet. <laughs> um, Lodi's still doing his sign gimmick. And there was one sign that said G-rated family-oriented signs. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. Did they maybe get told off for having something a bit racy? I think so, yes, because they're going for the whole gay panic gimmick here. And at one point, you could hear the crowd audibly 
chant the F word at them, which was pleasant. Yeah, um, Lenny and Lodi are only known to me for one thing, and I can't remember the exact specifics of it, but if you ever watched the the WWA show that took place over here, battling with the bananas in pajamas after, I think, spending the night hyping up that they were going to take on two fruits. Yes, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, uh, the Attitude Era podcast covering those shows. <laughs> God forbid. I watched that live <laughs> and never again. <laughs> uh, 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 another run in at the end of a match. Yeah, they don't really. Um, they don't let anything simmer or any real finishes come so far. We've had what one, two, three, four matches, and three of them have ended with people running out. Yeah. Um, this is kind of similar to the earlier Cruiserweight match the appeal was very one-sided in that Kidman was wrestling well and Lenny just looked okay yeah exactly Um, after that we've got Benoit coming out with the revolution we talked about this a little bit earlier it's basically he cuts a promo on Sid he's quite decent, Saturn then takes over and he's not so decent but just weird that the four of them were out earlier, two of them cut promos then all four come back out and the other two cut promos now, I don't know, like to me this is just bad writing to have it done this way, what did you think about that, like does it, did it feel off to you? Yeah, I, I, like I, I don't get this whole multi-segment stretch with the same people like it, it, it feels like you you're burning through a particular act in one single show to like save up for people for the next show because I'm pretty sure they'll be taping the next show after this and I just don't understand why this promo couldn't have been just catching them in the hallway and sticking a microphone in their face that's something that that the WWF at this time and you'll notice like with the shows where there's multiple rock promos, but you know, there'll, there'll be a reason for him to come to the ring for one. And then Michael Cole or Kevin Kelly or someone will catch him backstage to get more out of him. Like it doesn't feel as contrived as this. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you hear today mention the nitro girl search? I did not No. Do you know who they wound up getting through that? Stacy Keebler, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Brilliant, yeah. Well, that turned out quite good. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, um, history-making moment there. Yeah, definitely. Now, when you're searching for talent and you want a history-making moment, that might be it, but this next segment definitely wasn't. Coach Buzz Stern is back, and he gives the spot on his team to some clumsy, unfit-looking guy that just falls over. Like, I, I don't even understand what they're trying to achieve with this, but it's pretty crap. Um, Luther Biggs, I think his name was. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, the eagle-eyed people might spot. There's a guy in amongst the trainees. He kind of looked like Elix Skipper. Oh, I didn't notice. I was wondering if they were anyone of note in in that group, but they were sat with their backs to us on a bench. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to tell. Um, this is the first point in the night where Tanae actually goes to the point of mentioning that Thunder is live. I could not tell one way or the other before he mentioned this. No, it certainly didn't have the um, anything can happen feel about this show. Mm. So, um, after that big guy is a big putz in that segment, Larry quips, Not everybody's cut out to be a professional wrestler. And speaking of which, what's our next match, Lee? <laughs> Disorderly Conduct versus Harlem Heat. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> this two is... people who do not look like they're cut out to be professional wrestlers. Oh, actually, on my notes here, I've got... This is like what I said about... Um, the Wrecking Crew earlier were one of my least favorite tag teams. They're right up there with Disorderly Conduct. On the, the show I put out yesterday, I actually watched those two teams take each other on and I nearly quit podcasting forever. What? <laughs> just so terrible. They're just generic big guys that are just there because, you know, they look like they might be tough, but there's just no character, nothing to them, and they're not good wrestlers. Like, oh, just horrible. This The show I... Oh. The Thunder I watched for, for the last episode um, was just jobber central and there was nobody I was interested in until the main event and then it was a two-minute DQ. It was just an awful... Like, I, I gave the dick move of the week to whoever wrote the show for putting that on the air and thinking it was acceptable content. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can you imagine in the mid-80s if WWF went and put, I don't know, Ted RCD versus Iron Mike Sharp? Who's the jobbiest jobber of them all? I know, I know. <laughs> that, that show was so bad, Marty Jannetty picked up a win. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, Barry Horowitz took on Adam Bomb. Like, I was like, fucking hell, this is terrible. <sighs> Anywho, I didn't realise Harlem Heat actually got back together because, they, you know, I, I was watching Thunder from 98, as I, as I keep mentioning, and they're feuding, so I never realised they got back together. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, it's kind of Booker's spinning his wheels a bit here. I don't really know what's going on. Um, I guess they couldn't think of too much to do with Stevie post NWO breakup. Um, they're getting a, a rematch for the tag titles against the Regnecks for Brawl, by the way. Yeah, they are. Um, and this is just a shine to get them ready for that match. We get a bookend very early in the match before it's a finisher. A double suplex. Um, it's all Harlem Heat very early on. Very, very early. Did not realise the bookend was a part of Booker's offence already. No, and they didn't make a big deal of it or call at that. So it's obviously still warming up into becoming a big move for him. Mm. We get a spin kick and a spine buster, and then a double team spine buster into uh, with an axe kick for the one, two, three. Harlem Heat pick up the victory, and then the Rednecks, as you mentioned, come running out, but they don't really get up to much as Harlem Heat run them off as we go out to a commercial. So, again, this is like three segments here. The heels try and run in, do a sneak attack, and then the baby faces stand on the ground and stand tall. This is getting really tired already. Yeah, it's like you're um, on one of the old wrestling games where you've got to book your show and you're playing up until past your bedtime and you're falling asleep, so you just bang out the last one so you can save it. That's what this reminds me of. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, another one-sided match, as you say. Good showcase for the Heat, really. Definitely. We then go to Scotty Riggs taking on Prince Ikea. Um, the Prince hits a drop kick before Scotty Riggs hits one of his own. Prince Ikea hits a high knee. A bad botch missing a drop kick, but it's sold and picks up a two count. He completely misses, but Scotty Riggs sells as though he got him and then eats a two count before they get up and go, fuck this, we're going to brawl around the outside for a minute. Yeah, that's such a shame because the first drop kick that Riggs did, it was so on the money. I'm just amazed at the accuracy. When they come back in, it's over pretty quickly. Scotty Riggs hits the Famouser or the Rocker Dropper for the three count. It's too short to be anything special as we go back out to our next commercial. 
I'm surprised you're not going on the Hammerlock scale here. <laughs> I wrote dud, but I, it mustn't have pissed me off enough to get me ranting. <laughs> yeah, I wrote dud as well. This, how do you have this many flubs in such a short match? Yeah, it just wasn't good. I think if this had been seven or eight minutes, it probably would have got me irate. <laughs> <laughs> What's with Riggs's um, manky Lex Luger narcissist gimmick? Yeah, I, he's not good looking enough to pull it off, is he? <laughs> Don't let Scott Cavaliero hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> In the American males, he had youth on his side. He looks like he's aged about 15 years at this point. <laughs> oh, man, he must have spent... <laughs> Who knows? We then go to our next match, which is the Cat versus Goldberg. And you just want to talk about getting me on a rant. I started ranting about how shit the overdub theme for the Cat was. And I, it was so bad, I stopped the show and I got on YouTube. I'm like, what is his theme? And it's almost the same thing. They just took the words out of his song. That was his actual theme song. It is garbage. A from new event is taking shape. Yes, it's Hulk Hogan to defend the world's heavyweight title against Sting. Plus, as we found out earlier this evening, Goldberg to go one-on-one with Diamond Dallas Page. Also, it is going to be the revolution in action in a no-disqualification tag match against the first family. The West Texas Rednecks to defend the tag belts against the Harlem Heat. And tickets are still available for what we refer to as the WCW September pay-per-view tradition. And in terms of tradition, this will be the fourth consecutive year that we have been in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, for the Fall Brawl event. And those tickets are on sale now at the Lawrence Joel Veterans... Had about, like, I remember it's like a proper, proper, like, James Brown parody, like, I'm the greatest. And whereas the WWE overdub is just like, it does not sound like something anyone would be able to walk out to whatsoever. There's no energy. I'm going to put both Did of you... them in for a second and let everyone decide. But I, when I put it on, I was like, holy shit, this one's terrible too. Like, that's one of the more... Ac- <laughs> I actually thought it was one of the more accurate, like, rip-offs they'd stuck in. <laughs> Did you hear him as well? Just no subtlety whatsoever. Just demands, cut my James Brown music off. And someone backstage at WCW is thinking, fuck, we're trying to avoid license fees here. We're going under. He <laughs> <laughs> calls out Hulk Hogan before Sonny Ono reminds him he's actually taking on Bill Goldberg. It's like, oh my God, this is bad. <laughs> I think what he was going for here is once he's beat G- B- Goldberg, he'll be fit to challenge for the title, but <laughs> whatever, mate. <laughs> well, he's so confident he sends Sonny Ono to the back. And then Goldberg comes out, and the cat does nail him with a sidekick. Unfortunately, this just pisses Goldberg off, who spears him, and for the first time all night, the crowd legitimately pop and go nuts for that. And then he eats a jackhammer for the one, two, three in a comedy squash a la Dolph Ziggler last year. 
<laughs> yeah, Goldberg's just like, pay me! <laughs> oh, man. Larry Zabisco calls Goldberg a legal weapon, and Mike Tanay corrects him, and that about sums up this episode of Thunder. <laughs> a legal weapon. Is that like a, a, an international object, because standards and practices would allow them to say foreign? <laughs> it came across a lot like that, didn't it? <laughs> We go to our main event and it's Sid versus Saturn. It's a very punch kicky start, but I've got here like maybe I'm it's just that Thunder's so average, but I actually don't hate the Millennium Man storyline. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm fine with it as well. Um Sid's very proud of it. It says, I'm the Millennium Man and you're not <laughs> well, Yep, yeah, that's true. I definitely did not claim to be the Millennium Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a point, there's a bit of a flub where Sid's video started playing in the middle of Perry Saturn's entrance. Oh, I never saw that. That's um, not great at all. No, you're probably blinded by the main event pyro that we got. <laughs> uh, Sid, Sid deserves all the help he can get. <laughs> he needs a lot of help. Um Unfortunately, he brings back the pressureless camel clutch that he was l- likely to do. Yeah, it wasn't was that wasn't a highlight of the match. I tell you what was cool though when Saturn goes for that plancher over the top and Sid catches him on the outside. That was pretty cool. Yeah, not bad. Um, as well, he hits a really huge choke slam inside the ring. Sid always did an awesome choke slam. It it's a bit of a beatdown to be fair. Um, before Saturn fires back with a springboard forearm and goes up top for a 10 punch. And then Rick Steiner comes out for another interference DQ finish. Dean Malenko comes out and the Revolution stand tall. So three times the Revolution have all been in the rings. Um, twice they've stood tall at the end of a segment. It's um, absolutely spot on what you said before about wearing them all out in one show because yeah, this just was overkill to the max. Definitely, yeah. Um, really flat main event. They totally flubbed getting Sid out of the ring at the end there. Um, that didn't look good. Uh, I don't think this match particularly helped anybody. Saturn moved quite well, but it just feels like it was kind of illogical that Sid wouldn't go in for the kill. Like It felt like it was taking a bit too long. Like He hit that choke slam and it was like, hanging on forever. He was doing loads of uh, fish hooking with his really, really <laughs> breathing noises. It was kind of disturbing. And uh, I couldn't make sense of the DQ finish either. No, and I don't think Saturn got enough hope spots to warrant outside interference to save Sid. Like, that was really my main gripe with the match. Um, It needed to be a few minutes longer with Saturn throwing a bunch of good moves to warrant Rick Steiner needing to come out and bother helping him. I know! Who goes, oh shit, he's doing the corner 10 punch! He's in real peril here! I know, I know. Just, yeah, really, really terrible. So, overall, not a great episode of Thunder, and a fresh, hot SmackDown is probably going to be able to take this one to town, but we'll have to go over and find out. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, massive step down from last week's show, which I have trouble believing was possible, but here we are. Yeah, not, not the best episode of Thunder we'll ever watch. Possibly not the worst, though. Okay. Now, before we head over to SmackDown, it's time to take a little trip down memory lane. Peace, God. Peace, God. Now the shit is explained. I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane. It's like that, y'all. It's like that, y'all. It's like that, y'all. 
Now, Dunk, I actually ha- had a bit of a bolt of memory today of something that I wanted to talk about. Um, and we were talking about video games earlier. I actually had a game on my computer, like back in probably 92, 91 era, something like that. And it was called WrestleMania. And it was actually brilliant. I had a little joystick that I could use for it. And it, it was limited that you could only pick from Hogan, the Warrior or the Bulldog. But the gameplay and the graphics for the time were phenomenal. Have you ever heard of this game? No, this is a bit of a black hole for me. Like, I don't know who was making the games. It seems like several people were making them depending on the the format. I'm told uh, when I looked it up on Wikipedia, the developer was Twilight and the publisher was Ocean Software. And it came out on Amiga, Amstrad, Atari, Commodore 64, DOS and ZX Spectrum. So... That's <laughs> that. That's that. But yeah, this was actually a really good game. You had to go through five heels to um, become the champion. It was Mister Perfect, the Warlord, the Million Dollar Man, the Mountie, and finally Sergeant Slaughter. Um, and the wrestler would basically taunt you with a comment before each match, and then you had to pick from a supply from a reply. Sorry, um, and you know send back your comment before going into battle. It wasn't anything like massively awesome with the gameplay, you know, kick punches and grapple moves and stuff. But it actually, if you go and if, if you ever look it up, um, it looks a little bit like WrestleFest, the arcade game. So it was really good for the time. Huh. Oh, okay. Have you seen someone's made like a, a quasi WrestleFest revival, but with independent wrestlers? Um, I've heard about this. Um, I haven't looked into it yet. Um, I'm trying to decide whether or not I want to pick it up. I got... Um, what what was the what's the Japanese one called? Um, Fire Pro. Yeah, I got that on the PlayStation last year, and just never could quite get into it. It was just, I, I know that it's a bit of a steep learning curve, but I just don't really have the time to learn it. I thought I was going to be able to pick it up and have a game, and you know, bit by bit enjoy it, but it was just a bit too much for me. So I've been burnt on that. But if a game comes out that is worth going after, I'll definitely look into it. I really, really wanted the version of Fire Pro that was on the Game Boy Advance, but I don't. Again, I don't know how I didn't wind up getting it. Uh, probably, what did they get? I got like Ready to Rumble on the Game Boy, and it was terrible. Um, that I've probably been burned a bit on like really poor ports, but yeah, it looked really good. What I'm appreciating right now is the the PC version of that new fire pro edition is out and so lots of the community are making custom moves and they're putting in like orange cassidy's shin kicks and private parties jig and juice finishing into the game it looks so cool yeah fair enough that sounds pretty awesome actually (coughs) but yeah um definitely (laughs) for anyone that wants to check that out go and have a look it's probably going to be hard to get a hold of a copy these days but i'm pretty certain you can find a way to play just about any game ever on your computer these days i am not technology technologically advanced enough to do it but i'm sure plenty of people out there are oh i'm pretty sure if you go to um archive.org or somewhere there's there's been loads of like specky stuff and um older computer stuff that's um like the roms are just up there and, and like you can um but lots of games you can just play in browser now. Oh, that's very cool. Mm. So, let's head over and have a look at SmackDown. Uh- 
basically when SmackDown starts, the first note that I make is just signs. Holy shit, there are signs everywhere. Oh yes, there was one I picked up in particular that asked, "Where's Billy?" <laughs> Good question. We'll find Think out pretty I- soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As usual, our commentary team is Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler. And when we get started, our first match is China versus Billy Gunn. So there he is. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Did you spot Mr. Ascot announced as weighing 269 pounds? I did not, no. <laughs> I, um, I completely forgot about this angle prior to China becoming an Intercontinental Champion where Jeff Jarrett had the open contract on his dressing room door and for some reason Billy Gunn asked China to keep an eye on it before he signed and she just signed it herself. Like, why didn't he just sign it then and there the moron? He deserves to get backstabbed. Oh my God. I I didn't realise that was the premise behind it. Like, This is the second week they've shown clips of this and I did not pick up that detail. Yeah, I just it was a bit of a weird thing. Like, I've got to go for my match. Like, it takes two seconds to write your name, mate. Come on. The expl- the explanation of wait here and guard it took longer than signing would have done. Jeff Jarrett, <sighs> he's he, he's he's just he does. If he was in a rush, he doesn't want to people to not recognize his very famous Mister Ass signature. Like, if he just scribbled, he'd be like, "Oh, it could be anybody." <laughs> is he gonna like xerox his backside and stick that on the thing or something <laughs> <laughs> just put an ass print on the contract <laughs> well that's pretty obvious who it is now i guess <laughs> <laughs> jeff jarrett comes out with the cat and deborah um they were really gimmicking him up at this stage the guitar the ic belt and two female valets uh, yeah, I, I I don't know, like, looking back, I think Jarrett was pretty underrated and probably deserved to run a little bit higher, but um, it, it didn't seem to stick in the WWF for him for whatever reason. It's a bit weird having a gimmick upon a gimmick. Like, Deborah's there to be demeaned by Jarrett, and then Kitty's there by, to be demeaned by Deborah. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> this, this could, in theory, never end. <laughs> yeah. He joins the commentary table anyway, and the match gets started. China moons Billy Gunn, and that pisses him off, so they brawl. China hits a DDT for a two. Billy Gunn comes back with a back elbow. Uh, China's whipped out of the ring and fakes an arm injury, and this allows her to suck Billy Gunn, playing a bit of possum. They brawl around the outside, and we get a ref bump. Billy Gunn hits a famouser, but Triple H comes out and hits him with the pedigree, and that's enough for China to pick up the one, two, three when the referee regains consciousness. Hmm. Not that this was anything particularly special, but I thought it was really good fun for the time given, spirited effort from both of them, and instantly better than anything that was on Thunder for me. Yeah, exactly. This was just a a nothing sort of, you know, middle of the card, slight storyline advancement match, and it blew away everything on Thunder. That is pretty poor. (laughs) Although we'll see... um, SmackDown might be victim to some of the same things that Thunder is a little down the line. Yes, yes, we will we'll definitely keep an eye on that as we go. Um, we got a replay of the double people's elbow from Monday Night Raw that allowed The Rock and Mick Foley to pick up the tag team titles. And if you've anyone out there has read Mankind's first book, you'll know that he talked about 
Oh, actually, it might be a second book, actually. He talked about his elbow grazing the Big Show's testicle on that move, so that just made me laugh when I saw it. (laughs) (laughs) And the Rocket Sock Connection are your tag team champions. Oh, man. I had the Best of Raw Volume 2 compilation on VHS, and this was a big part of that. I loved it. Good times for the tag team division. There was um, a lot of good teams and a lot of good makeshift teams all in the same sort of year. Mm. Big Show cut comes out and cuts a pretty awful promo on The Undertaker. This brings out Paul Bearer. He starts speaking down to The Big Show, who just kicks him in the face. This brings out Undertaker, and since it's 1999, The Undertaker walks out to a stream of laser pointers all over his face. I spotted that as well. Yes, that's my dick move of the night. The Pricks trying to blind him with the lasers to get him to break his gimmick. Fuck off. Oh, man, that was a staple of, like, year 10, 11, and 12 for me, laser pointers. I never had one. I just thought they were for dickheads, but everybody loved them at this time. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, I thought it was funny. Big Show came out, and his so his music plays. He goes, well, well, it's a big show. And then Michael Cole goes, it's the big show. <laughs> no <laughs> shit. <heard> <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know what the hell Big Show was talking about in this promo. It was like saying Taker was a ink sack carcass of dead meat. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a good promo, that's for sure. It was pretty awful. And no wonder the Undertaker just looks so tired coming out of the ring here. <laughs> like God, do I have to put up with this shit some more? <laughs> yeah, he comes out and he whispers something in Big Show's ear, who looks confused, then sticks his hand on Big Show's throat and threatens if he ever steps out of line again, he will end him. Doesn't help up Paul Bearer and walks out, and we go to commercial. So um, very much like he's just told Big Show something that never dawned on him, and out they go. But this is a little bit of a weird storyline, this one. I-, I think it was the right move, sticking Big Show with Undertaker to give him a bit of credibility, but as we'll see sort of over the next month because of different circumstances, it never ends up really going anywhere or having any big payoff. Maybe he whispered, um, foreshadowing later things, your daddy has cancer. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, Taker threatened to rip Show's throat out and choke him with his own tongue. Mm, that would be um, a bit of a Mortal Kombat style finisher, that one, I think. Oh, God, yeah, can you imagine? We, uh, when we come back from commercial, Mick Foley comes out and he calls losing to Shane McMahon the most embarrassing moment of his life. Calls out his partner, The Rock. The Rock says they're not friends, but mankind is a crazy son of a bitch. I'm not sure. You might, you might know this, actually, Dunk. Is this the segment where... The Rock's glasses fell off and Mick Foley picked them up and they cut it out. I got that vibe from it, but I can't say for sure it's this episode. Do you know, I was expecting that as well, but um, the, the footage of it definitely exists, so I just thought that they didn't cut it out. Um, but yeah, I was expecting to get that spot. Um, so Mick comes out and he says he wants to talk about the Great One and King quips, Is he going to talk about Shane again? <laughs> and did you notice as well the tag titles still have the solid WWF logo on and not the scratch one I did yeah I'm not really sure when that swapped over it's it's weird right because I think the um, 
the Big Eagle belt had the um, block logo on it for a little while earlier, like the year before as well. Like these belts, I guess they're not quick to turn around. So yeah, sometimes they are a bit out of date, but that seems really out of date by now. I know it's so strange. Like um, the I'm I'm pretty sure the the WWF title has the scratch logo by now because I know Austin's uh, Smoking School one had the scratch one on. And so I guess they just figured they had to update the regular belt to have the scratch as well. But yeah, I, I just, this halfway house that we have between branding just irrationally irritates me for some reason. Nope, I am with you on that. Shane McMahon then comes out with Triple H in China. He names The Rock versus Mankind in a match for the number one contender. And he says if they don't fight, they'll both get a six-month suspension. And says to Triple H, you'll take on that bald-headed SOB. Triple H gets angry, but... Anyone with a brain can see there's a swerve coming when he doesn't name Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mankind, (laughs) to end the segment, suggests politely that The Rock should just lose the match. The Rock does not oblige as we go out from this segment. Mankind also pointed out they're in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts tonight, and it's the arena where he beat The Rock for the title. Yes, he did. Yeah, good callback. Mm. Rock's entrance music was um in an interesting spot here it's kind of like halfway between his 1999 theme and his 2000 theme like it got a bit more bass in it and stuff but it still had the, the like the really low energy for rock says stuff over it i always hated when they took the words out of his entrance you know i just loved the like the rocks laying the smack down <laughs> know your damn role like i just love them bits through the song i hated when they took it out <laughs> We then jump pretty um, helter-skelter through a bunch of different little segments here. Fink comes out to challenge Tony um, Tony Chimmel to a tuxedo match. Who says no? Fink jumps him and the bell rings. We get an awful match that Tony Chimmel ends pretty quickly. And then we just rapid fire through a bunch of stuff. X-Pac tells Kane that he wants to fight on his own tonight. Shamrock enters the arena and Mankind does a little promo with Lillian Garcia all in a really quick turnaround time. So did any of that stick out for you, Duncan? Any highlights amongst all those parts? No breathing space at all, was there? Um, Another detail, there's a limo hanging out backstage and there's a big mystery over who's inside it. Yeah, actually, I didn't even... That, that's how quick all this went that I didn't even have time to write that down. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the big sticking point for me, the most unpleasant part of this, was the quote-unquote skig mark that Fink had in his undies. Oh, that's a, a Vince McMahon special, that is, isn't it? They love to do that. I'm sure they did it with Pat Patterson once, too. Like, it's not funny. Vince has a shit sense of humour, pardon the pun. <laughs> oh, I just, yeah, it's stuff like that is just, I just don't get it. But anywho, from there we do go into something I was quite excited about, X-Park taking on Chris Jericho. Yeah, um, there was another little segment as well, actually, um, with Hunter and... China speculating on whether they can trust Shane, and then Jericho's consoling Fink and... Uh, was he already doing the Y2 Stinger campaign or something? He offered to put Fink in some ad campaign or something. Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, too much going on to keep up with. And then just to mm. add a little bit more, before this match starts, Ken Shamrock comes out and X-Park has to stop him attacking Chris Jericho. Yeah, um, 
they were playing clips of the Road Dog match last week. Apparently, Road Dog has injured his back. Um, X Pot came out with an energy drink for some reason, and the SmackDown ident was playing instead of Jericho's video when he came out. Which is another little technical snafu. They're not doing very well on this tonight either. Show no production fails all round. When the match gets started, X Pac nails Jericho with a spin kick and a back suplex for a two. Show and Undertaker come out onto the ramp to watch. We get an outside brawl. Jericho with a delayed vertical suplex and a cocky pin for the two. Classic 99 Chris Jericho. I remember that being one of his moves on the SmackDown game. Put your foot on the opponent, cross your arms over for the two count. I love that cocky pin. Cole uses that as a segue to talk about X Pac's heart. His enlarged heart. That's one of the things yes. that Jerry, Jerry Lawler always jumped on, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. We get a double arm backbreaker for a two from Jericho. Another one of those moves. I, I always hated when they took away all Jericho's great moves. They took away that, the double power bomb, all this stuff that made him unique. And they just, I don't know, made him stop doing it for some reason. Um, the guys he wound up in the main event scene were too big to do them. Yeah, quite oh. possibly. We get a spin kick from X-Pac and a flying clothesline. Jericho hits a lion slot for a two count, and X-Pac comes back with a Bronco Buster, and that's enough for Big Show. He comes in and hits him with a with a clothesline and a press slam. Shamrock, the arsehole, doesn't help X-Pac, just chases Jericho through the crowd to avoid actually getting in. Then Show goes up for a choke slam, but Kane comes out and makes a save. Undertaker calls off the Big Show and tells Kane he's weak because of X-Pac. Um... Interesting little storyline in this. I actually don't mind it. X-Pac saying he doesn't want any help and Big Show and Undertaker trying to keep beating the shit out of him to force Kane to come out and help. I actually, yeah, I, I liked this little tag team feud they had. I know it only probably lasts about a month, but I remember really liking this and I, I didn't mind it again this time. Yeah, I do like this angle. I like both simultaneously humanizing, well, both of them really, like Kane and putting his trust in somebody again, X-Pac wanting to step up to the plate for him, Um, and the Undertaker trying to use that to get the edge over them. Um, Yeah, I I like them as a team, and I like this angle. Um, Did you spot the Dreamcast sign in the crowd? I didn't. Oh man, <laughs> just reminds me, <laughs> reminds me of like a, a two thousand Arsenal kit. Whenever I see anything about a Dreamcast, <laughs> yeah, it was the Red Spiral and nine nine ninety nine, which was when it was launching. It's crazy to think it wasn't out yet. Oh my god, was you know the Dreamcast logo was was it in blue in Australia or was it in red? blue i'm pretty certain do you know i don't actually know anyone that owned a dreamcast oh i you're looking at one right here buddy (laughs) (laughs) brilliant i love my dreamcast 
Oh, man, yeah. I don't recall anyone ever getting one. It went over here. It basically went straight from the um, Sega Nintendo Wars into PlayStation versus Nintendo 64 and then PlayStation versus Xbox. Mm, yeah, okay. Um, I've got a book on the, the Sega and Nintendo console wars that I, I really want to get to. Oh, what's um, it called? Oh, God. It's, it's something it's being turned into a, a movie i think as well now or, or maybe a series the reason um, why i ask Evan is I, th- Goldberg... I think i think i may have read that book is it a blue cover it's got like a blue color with like red font and seth oh shit um what's his name seth rogan and uh evan goldberg do the forward i think is it is it called console wars i think yeah i think that's it yeah yeah i've got it i've read it it's really good oh nice um, after that, we go to Ken Shamrock angry backstage, which is becoming a bit of a staple of the last few weeks. <laughs> yeah, um, China and Triple H were trying to break into Shane's locker room as well. Um, what do you think of Jericho so far, by the way? Because um, I feel like he's doing surprisingly okay in the face of what's been documented about his sort of growing pains getting into WWF, if you will. Yeah, look, the more of this I watch, the more I think that any heat to do with Jericho had nothing to do with his work, and it wouldn't have mattered what he did. He was going to get shit on when he came into the company. Mm, yeah, I agree, because like, it's a pretty decent match that he had with Packy. It just had a shoddy finish. And the angle with, with Fink and the angle with Shamrock and even the segment the week before with Road Dog, like, it's all been entertaining, the obviously the debut with the rock is memorable like he's not done anything that's bored me and he's not done anything that looks sloppy or dangerous so i just don't get it mm, yeah i've been pretty pleased with all of his work so far um we then go to a big title match that triple h was so irate about he's taking on the bald-headed soob aka my best mate gilberg <laughs> Gilbert, how y'all doing out there? And you are definitely listening. The Raw is Nitro Podcast, baby. <laughs> With my man, Lee Carlos Cunningham. How you doing, brother man? Long time no see. Look, keep listening. The Raw is Nitro. Because this is Gilbert telling you this is the baddest podcast out there. <laughs> <laughs> I loved um, Shane had a line here that his dad taught him you give everything to the fans I'm just like <laughs> oh yeah not quite <laughs> what I think the lesson was there oh Gil- I miss Gilberg I know and he's a light heavyweight champion here too so he's doing the proper entrance <laughs> with, the, with the belt on <laughs> it's great I, I loved Gilberg Yes, one of the first WWF shows I can remember was the the Sunday Night Heat where SA Rios debuted and beat him for the belt. Just good times. And he starts a match off, he hits a spear. It's going to be one of them quick <laughs> squashes. He's going to take Triple H's title. He goes for the jackhammer, but no, Triple H blocks it, unfortunately. <laughs> Front suplex, a bit of a beat down. Uh, Shane's on commentary and... Um, he laughs as Gilberg hits another spear for a two count, goes for a third. Oh, sorry, hits a couple of spears, then goes for a third. Um, Triple H moves, he goes into the ring post. Pedigree, one, two, three, and then chair to the leg, just like he did Austin at SummerSlam. So I actually, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed this. I thought it was pretty cool for what it was, to be honest. What did you think? 
pretty funny, yeah, but um, really weird thing to do with a brand new WWF champion. It's always this pattern here where the first reigns for bunches of people are a bit too much of a joke. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> to me, I think this came across as just Shane being a dickhead and advancing that storyline while Triple H was enjoying being his smarmy sort of asshole champion. So I I really enjoyed it. Um, we then, however, after that, go to Al Snow going to the Big Boss Man's hotel room, and I don't have a good feeling about this. Oh, Jesus. Like, when I saw Pepper in the previous week's show, I like... Oh, okay. So I knew what was coming. I didn't expect it to come this soon. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's that classic angle that everybody has probably heard about. If you haven't, you must have not been watching wrestling back here, back here and been living under a rock. So I will play a little clip of it for you now. A happy reunion between him and his dog, Pepper. Well, it's about time. That's good. Can we see it? I just want the dog. Don't touch me, please. All right. I just you don't have to get hot. The, the dog's not, at the groomer's. I, I'm having him cleaned up. He's going to look nice for at you. At the I just groomer's, have Ray, he doesn't have any hair. Just have a seat. What? I don't want to sit down, Ray. I, I went to a lot of trouble, Al. I'm going to make sure I do the right thing here. Do the right thing. The right thing would be give me back my friend. Well, I am, Al. You just, you just got to trust me. You know, I went got the finest food mass that you don't understand what that dog means to me. Yeah, I do. I, I had a dog when I was a kid. I understand. I told you I, I could sympathize with you. But what are you I, doing? I don't want to eat, Ray. I, want, I didn't come here to eat. I'll just eat the food and let me do the right thing here. Do the I right mean, thing. Give me the dog. That's, you know. He's on his way. The guy said he'd be bringing him. You just got to trust me. I'm here, aren't I? Ray, if I eat the food, will that make you happy and then you can give me the dog? Oh, yeah. Be giving me a chance. Do what's right. I'll do whatever you want. Just please, just give me the dog. Because you're supposed to give me the dog, right? Oh, God. How do you like it, Al? Aren't you going to have any? Oh yeah, I'm gonna have a lot of it. How's it taste? Oh, well, it's not bad. You cook it yourself? Well, Uncle Harry, a restaurant I know down in Boston cooked it. But will you do me a favor? Try not to get one of them uh, paws stuck in your teeth. That's right, Al. 100% grade A pepper. No, no, no. <laughs> What's the matter, Al? Huh? You don't like pepper? You don't like the way pepper tastes? You don't like the way pepper looks? Huh? You don't like pepper? Huh? What's the matter with you, boy? Huh? Huh? You don't like the way pepper tastes? Huh? You don't like what? Oh, no way. Pepper's not gonna take an elevator today. You're gonna eat every damn bite of the little son of a bitch. I told you, if he bit me again, I was gonna send him straight to hell. Huh? You understand me, Al? Huh? You understand me, what this is all about? This is hardcore. And you can damn well bet. Huh? You can damn well bet. Huh? Yeah, I'm hardcore all the way. I told you Pepper was going to live with you for the rest of his life. <laughs> Unless you go to the poop shooter. Huh? Understand me. Al, and I am hardcore. Pepper's a little bitch. And you're a dumb son of a bitch. Have you ever seen, um, you know, the South Park episode, Scott Tenenbaum Must Die? Oh, vaguely. I've not watched South Park in a very long time. Um, so Scott Tenenbaum was, like, bullying Cartman and he got Radiohead to call him a loser or something. And so Cartman um, got Scott's parents to go onto a farm, get shot by the farmer, and he cooked 
chili with Scott Tenderman's parents. Oh, this is now coming Scott back to me. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I, I, I think. I wonder which came first. I've got a feeling this came first. So maybe Bossman's like the inspiration for Eric Cartman here. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> but this was um, yeah, real. <laughs> It's. I can't say it's great, and I can't say it's terrible, but it's memorable. That's what I will say about it. <laughs> He's bringing it up. One hundred percent grade A pepper. <laughs> oh my and goodness! Like, um, poor, poor Al. He's vomiting, and then Bosman just whacks him with the entree. <laughs> yeah, he's like he won't allow him to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> This is just ridiculous. Like, uh, is Bossman taking the hardcore division too seriously? It's like, I'm hardcore all the way. <laughs> oh, man. As good as it will ever get with the hardcore division. Did you see him eat some of it as well? Yeah, like, he takes a bite on his way out. Like, I don't give a fuck that that's a dog. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, tastes like chicken. <laughs> Classic Bossman. Oh man! When we when we come back from the madness, Shamrock is still searching for Jericho, and from there, as I lose my notes, it's time for Mankind versus The Rock. This gets started with an outside brawl, and then The Rock, the big heel, hits a low blow. They both take a turn on trying to pick up the headset and talk on commentary, and then beating the crap out of each other on the outside. We get Mankind with the um, double arm. Oh, sorry. Mankind, I've complete double arm DDT. Yeah, I don't know why I started on that. Sorry. And then Mr. Socko, but the ref takes a bump. Shane comes out to referee. We get a rock bottom. And then Shane waves out Triple H in China. The faces fight back, but Shane calls for the bell, calling a double DQ as we go to a commercial break. When we come back, we've got a bit too much Shane for my liking now. Shane is with Lillian Garcia, who says he'll make it up to them. Um, just a, a lot of these guys, and I assume this is what you were talking about earlier, where we're going to the well once too often. Yeah, just like no room to breathe um, whatsoever. Just same cogs turning up over and over again. Um, good old Michael Cole never misses an opportunity to call the steel stairs, steel chairs. Oh, he loves that, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um just Shane prattling about and wasting everybody's time. This is a a weird way to put across a new TV show, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we then go to our next match, which is Val Venus versus Ken Shamrock. But before the match gets started, we see a little roll of the sponsors for the evening. We've got 1-800-COLLECT, Castrol GTX, and WWF The Music Volume 3. So... On that note, I thought I'd ask, did you ever, and if so, which was the first wrestling album you ever bought? It was WWF The Music Volume 5. Now, I didn't buy it myself. My mum's workmate ripped it for me. Good, because that was a terrible version, wasn't it? There was not much on that <laughs> one. I, well, see, I liked it. It's like, I liked it had Two Cool's theme, a Kurt Angle's theme, had Kane's theme. Um, K Quick, I think, then it wasn't ended it? On the... Which one? K Quick, I... yeah. And uh, I assume you were going to say, and it ended on pie. <laughs> the fucking dirt worst. <laughs> it's the rock solo recording debut. <laughs> <laughs> and end of his career while he's at it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man, what was your favorite wrestling album? Mine, I think I'd probably have to go. It's either it's I think it's a tie between um, what's the the rap one called? Uh, aggression. Aggression and Forcible Entry. I really enjoyed both of those albums. I liked a lot of Forcible Entry. Yeah, I was really pissed off that the version of Rob Zombie's song actually didn't sound like Edge's, the version that Edge would come out to. Um, and I'm also doubly pissed off that the Americans got the the Kane Slow Chemical song and we didn't hear in Britain. I, th- I think that was on my version. I'm not 100% sure. Hell. I think it was. I tell you what I loved. Life. <laughs> there, there were some cool themes back then. I loved that song. I actually got weirdly obsessed with it about a month ago and listened to it about 10 times in a week for some reason. <laughs> um, and you know the one that I also really liked that was on that album was the Benoit theme that he didn't use for very long. That was a really good song as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I, I liked a lot of them. Um, I got frustrated later on down the line that, that they were edited differently. And so, like, when I play the album, it wouldn't be like how they would when they come out to the ring. Um, but yeah, I liked that one and I liked Anthology as well. Oh, yeah. I think that, that might have been the last one I bought, Anthology. Um, that had some really good themes on it, but it, they were spread across three discs and there were some bang average ones mixed in as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, I kept going. Um, I when was the last time I stopped? So I got the music volume six, the, the one that was called Theme Addict, and it came with a free DVD and it had loads of people's entrance videos. Um, and I played that a lot because it came out like sooner than the DVDs were coming out over here. So I was like, "Oh, this is what wrestling looks like now! Oh my god, this is exciting!" Oh, very cool. Um, and then the last one I bought, oh, I can't remember what it's called. It was like, it was the one in 2006 and it had Batista's theme. And it had the King of Kings theme and uh, CM Punk's theme. Oh, it was like something like Reckless Intent or something like that. A few bangers on there though. Yeah, absolutely. Anywho, moving off our little music tangent, when the match gets started, we've got some strikes at an outside brawl pretty quickly. Shamrock works over the leg and goes into the ankle lock. Um, one kick to the knee and straight to the ankle lock makes Val looks weak as hell. And that's it, yeah. Blackman um, comes out after the match. but or Sorry, Blackman comes out here. Ken Shamrock catches him and nails him. Jericho comes out and nails him and then challenges him to come and chase him to the parking lot, which he does. Blackman then beats down Val Venus to make him look like even more of a jobber with the nunchucks. Fink lures Ken Shamrock in. Um, he's dressed like Jericho with his back to him. And then Shamrock and Jericho fight. Jericho locks on the walls of Jericho and ends with the classic speaking of South Park. Oh my God, I've killed Kenny. A lot to, <laughs> <laughs> to unwrap here, um, especially Venus looking like a joke. But what did you think about all of this? I, I didn't really digest how Val came across here, but um, yeah, the, the match was nothing to write home about. I actually really enjoyed the post-match stuff. Ken had an awesome judo throw to block Blackman's nunchuck attack. Um, and yeah, the, the, the angle with the shovel and the lion, lion tamer at the end, I, I just really enjoyed it's actually one of my favourite spots on the show. Yeah, pretty decent overall. I'm intrigued. This Shamrock-Jericho feud, I actually have fond memories of. I wish Shamrock hadn't left 
pretty, uh, you know, I think it's pretty soon here now. He leaves within the next few weeks, I believe. So that's a real disappointment. Yes. But... It's not long for this world. I don't think they make it to the pay-per-view. Um, do you remember reading Jericho's book and Shamrock would get pissed at him for doing the knife edge chops? It's like, I don't sell that shit, buddy. No, I, I completely forgot about that. So there you go. It's like, it's one of the least worked strikes in wrestling and Ken won't do it because it, it doesn't make him look tough or something. I'm like, oh, take it. It sounds awesome. It does sound awesome, but I'd be fucked if I wanted to take too many of them as well. <laughs> Shane and Triple H in China come out again. We see female legs getting out of a limo and it's definitely Stephanie McMahon because she's got them school teacher shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, this is Steph, this is Steph. Test comes out and he brings Stephanie and Linda with him. The Rock and Sock versus Triple H and Shane is named by Linda as a match for later on. Shane demands that it's for the tag titles and Linda, for some reason, agrees as we go to a commercial. When we come back, Shane is hyping up Triple H and here's where I've put, yeah, just a bit too much Shane for one show. Let's dial it back just a little bit, hey? Yeah, maybe get a bit more Linda calling Test Andrew because it's a shoot. <laughs> yeah. Then we go to the Holly cousins taking on Midian and Viscera. So the Hollies, of course, are the super heavyweights. So that makes sense that they would be challenging someone the stature of Viscera. Yeah. So this this next match um, it's kind of rushed the way it was promoted. They called it a tag team battle royal at one point, but really it's just a gauntlet match which yeah, like i think a, they did at summerslam like a couple of weeks ago already yeah i think it was called um tag team turmoil then so that's how i wrote it down but yeah you're right like two teams start one's eliminated the next one comes out but like this match was kind of like they were on their way to the ring before i realized what it was you're right they didn't really talk about this much at all mm, yeah that's it tag team turmoil you're right Viscera nails uh, Midian by mistake, and that allows the Hollies to pick up the win. As you can imagine, when you're trying to squeeze a bunch of teams in, the falls are quite quick here. Draws and Albert come out, and Bob hits a Falcon Arrow for the three count. The Hardys then come out, and Matt hits a Moonsault for a three count. Very, very quick. The Acolytes come out. Bradshaw hits a clothesline from hell off of the Poetry in Motion, which looks sick, and that's enough for the victory there. Stevie Ray, Stevie Ray, Jesus, definitely not Stevie Ray. Um, Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie come out, and Stevie eats a power bomb and a pin before the Meanie even gets to the ring. I'm guessing he was probably avoiding Bradshaw, knowing what we'd find out later on down the track. Mm-hmm. Edge and Christian come out. The Dudleys, however, then come and make their debut, attacking them all with two by fours. I have um, vivid memories of the Dudleys running in on the end of this match. I didn't realize it was this match until it happened, but I definitely remember that. And then we go backstage after the commercial and the Dudleys are with Lillian. And, oh my God, I forgot about Bubba Ray's stupid fucking stutter. I forgot he brought it into the WWF. I knew it was an ECW thing, but yeah, this surprised me. Um... I don't really know what the two by fours bit was all about. Um, what do you think to this segment overall, Lee? I liked I liked the debut of the Dudleys, but the tag team turmoil to end it like that. It didn't need to be a tag team turmoil. That just seemed pointless. Like it could have been pick your two top teams, um, Acolyte and Edge and Christian, going at it for the number one contender match. Give them seven or eight minutes, and then the Dudleys interfere, and we don't get a winner. 
you made a bunch of teams look weak to get to this moment, you know, by having them all pinned inside 60 seconds. And it just seemed unnecessary if you weren't going to have an outcome. Exactly. Yeah, I was really not a fan of the finish. Um, just makes everything feel a bit futile. Um, a bit bored of DQ finishes by this point. I really liked a whole bunch of the spots in this match. Did you see at one point, Albert he did this awesome thing where he got someone up in a powerbomb and turned it into an X Factor? Yeah, early Albert had some sick moves, didn't he? Yeah. Um, the APA were stiff as fuck, as you'd expect. Bradshaw really fucked Jeff Hardy right out of the ring the early going and nearly kicked Matt's head off. Um, stiff spine buster by Farouk. And as you say, that the poetry emotion counter was really cool as well. Um, so, yeah, bits of highlights thrown in here. Um, bit weird. Like, we've had so much of the show dedicated to so few wrestlers and... Now here we are scrambling to fit all of these people into one single segment. Yeah, definitely. Um, reminds me a lot of what they end up doing next year with the hardcore division, just cramming a bunch of guys into one match to get them on the show. Mm, yeah. From there, we go to our main event, which is Triple H and Shane McMahon challenging the Rock and Sock connection for the tag team titles. Mankind comes out first for the Rock and Sock and goes into a two-on-one. The Rock comes out a ways later for some reason it was just a bit weird and then we get into a four-man brawl did you see shane's parody of the rocks t-shirt oh no what was on this one it was it's just like the rocks logo t-shirt but you put a c on the front so it said the croc ah i didn't pick up on that i used to love the shane um little sort of personalized jerseys. I loved the WrestleMania 15 one, the X chump one. And I loved the WrestleMania X seven Vince. We have a problem one as well. Yeah, that was great. We go uh, to a four man brawl. As I said, triple H hits mankind with a chair while the ref is distracted. Triple H suplexes, hits a suplex. Shane McMahon hits an elbow for a one count. We get a Bronco buster from Shane. A baseball slide from Mankind sends Shane McMahon into the commentary table. Billy Gunn, however, comes out and hits a famous at a Triple H for the receipt earlier. We get a rock bottom, a people's elbow, and the one, two, three, and the Rock and Sock Connection retain their titles to end the show. So, we've been talking about how we've felt a bit burned out by all these segments revolving around the same people. The crowd really felt that way as well. Like, if you contrast the pop Mick got the first time he came out to the pop he got for this tag match. It's really like they're just sitting on their hands by this point. Yeah, it's a bit like... Um, I remember... I can't remember where I read it or heard it, but they talked. someone talked about the King of the Ring tournament, why they scaled back, because I think it might have even been on the Bruce Pritchard show, to be honest, where if you come out three times, the last pop's not as impressive, and that's the main event. Mm, yeah, that's true. Um, and you can really feel it in this match. Really heatless when they were working over Mankind, and the crowd didn't really get any energy until Rock started off the hot tag. Um, mixed jogging pants are ridiculous by this point. Oh, yeah, he looks like he's um ready for bed in the winter every time he comes out now, doesn't he? <laughs> no! <laughs> uh, there's one point Triple H hit his high knee and nearly fell over 
Mick when Mick was bumping for it. And um, that baseball slide that you mentioned, that was Mankind that did that to Shane. The least Foley-like move you could imagine him doing to get Shane knackered. Yeah, I think for me, like overall, I enjoyed this match, but you're right. Like we saw too much of all the guys on the show, but at least the guys we saw, you know, I guess over on this show compared to Thunder were main event guys that the crowd loved. I just didn't get that from the revolution yet. Like they're all good guys and they're all, you know, to certain degrees on the up, but certainly not three or four segment worthy on one night. For sure. Yeah. Rock and Mankind have the personality to carry these kind of things, and I don't think Revolution necessarily did. But no, overall, I think a a reasonably enjoyable episode of SmackDown, probably a slight step down from the one we we watched last time and the pilot, but overall, not too bad. Some, you know, some classic moments, like the, the Dudley debut is something that I remember. Some good stuff with Undertaker, um, Big Show, X-Pac, and Kane. And, um... Some more early Jericho Howard Finkel antics, which I liked as well. So, good stuff sprinkled amongst a, a couple of near misses. Mm, yeah, it did feel like a significant step down from last week for me. Um, I liked the X Pack and Jericho segments, um, and I liked some of, like the opening promo that Rocker Mankind did. It just got a bit too much by the end. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that. Um, so that ends both shows. I don't think this is going to be a tough one to call, but should we go over and pick ourselves a winner anyway? Yeah, let's try and troll through this. So Crowd Heat is the first one I think we should talk about today. Um, I, I think I mentioned it on Thunder that I don't think until Goldberg came out I even heard the crowd pop, which was quite embarrassing for this time. And you're right, like the, the pops lessened for Mankind and the Rock as the night went on, but they were unglued for the first few times they saw them and invested in most of the other stuff they saw. So I definitely went with SmackDown. How did you go on this one? I went with SmackDown again. Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier, I couldn't tell until Mike Tanay mentioned it, that Thunder was supposed to be live. Like people were reacting, but I couldn't really tell if it was wholly organic or not. I think, Thunder on the network suffers a bit from some of the production problems that it had on on the tapes they received. And sometimes you can't tell if WWF has had to sort of hatch together the audio or they're clumsily going over it when they're editing in music. You can't quite tell sometimes. Mm. Storyline advancement is an interesting one as well. Um, I I was a big fan of the Sid storyline carrying on and I guess he's kind of got a dual story going on because he's sort of feuding with Benoit and Goldberg at the same time. But other than that, there wasn't much to write home about on Thunder, whereas the storyline, the Dudleys entering the tag division was a big storyline advancement. Shamrock and Jericho continued where they left off. China, Billy Gunn, Triple H against the Rock and Mankind, Shane McMahon's involvement, um, all of this stuff. And Undertaker, Kane sort of with X-Pac and Big Show sprinkled in was all good stuff for me. So I definitely went with SmackDown on that one. How about yourself? Mm, It's one of the toughest ones for me because at least from Thunder, I got the sense of some kind of direction heading towards 4 Brawl. Like, you know, that DDP and Goldberg are kind of at odds. You know, that uh, lots of revolutions, feuds were laid out. But 
I think I give SmackDown the edge here because um, I liked the the tag team scene um, and uh, China kind of dipping her toe in the water, becoming the babyface as well. What about characters? Which show do you think had the best characters on the night, Duncan? WWF had far more of their trademark performers than Thunder did. I know they're trying with the revolution, but it's... Yeah, they're not putting them over anybody, though. Like, they might be featuring them, but ultimately Saturn still looked like he had no chance against Sid. And, yeah, I I don't know. Like, Saturn in the main event at this point is not doing it for me when you've not bothered to bring Hall, Nash, Sting, Hogan, Macho Man, etc., etc. under the show. And SmackDown is very much being treated like 1A and still has all the star power of Raw. So it was a very easy one for me, that. Tougher decision might be, who do you think had the least production botches for the night? <laughs> um, oh, Again, tricky. I think WWF just about gets this by a sliver just because I think SmackDown just looks like a slicker show still. WCW, they're, they're kind of stuck in a rut. It feels like, if you didn't tell me the date, it feels like it could have been any kind of show between 1995 and 1999. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, it doesn't look like much has changed at all. And it's the sound on Thunder that does it for me, really. I hate it. Like, you just... Mm. It's not good. Match quality, I, again, went with the WWF. There was a couple of bright spots on Thunder, but I cared about the matches on the WWF. This is my real gripe with modern wrestling is the matches might be the best they've ever been, but I don't give a shit about them. Whereas in the WWF, these were not necessarily like there was no five-star classic, but I was invested in pretty much all of them. What about you? Yeah. Very weak, very weak, week for both shows in ring. Um, China and Mr. Ass and, X-Pac and Chris Jericho were my most enjoyable matches and they were both on SmackDown, so I've got to go with SmackDown. No surprise then. It's a complete whitewash. 10 out of 10 for SmackDown. Thunder doesn't register a point and it's a first round knockout. So I don't think before starting this little conversation, either of us were expecting any different, but it goes to show even in, you know, we called SmackDown a market step down from prior weeks and it's still whitewashed Thunder. That is how bad Thunder has gotten in 1999. Yeah, WCW definitely feel a bit asleep at the wheel here already. Yeah, um, and I'm going to guess they don't turn it around. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they maybe try and do a turn but it winds up being a donut shall we say yeah so that will do it for this week's episode um i'm quite enjoying this little um storyline we're on now or sort of set of shows sorry i should say we're on now just because i'm getting to watch the old smackdown so i don't know about you but i'm finding this quite enjoyable and glad we picked this yeah i'm looking forward to some more twists and turns here um this is a a period i'm really not familiar with in terms of wwf like i know certain things happen i'm just not quite sure of the order yeah so we should be in for some really good shows now between now and sort of the end of 99 so definitely enjoying this having lots of fun with it and i can i've never watched any of these thunders so every week i have the opportunity to be surprised by wcw so yeah really really good um 
Outside of this, what else have you got on the horizon, Dunk? Anything for you and Kyle coming up that you want to talk about? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, So we're still carrying on with our tape trader diaries. Our next show will be the UK No Mercy 1999 pay-per-view. Um, That's going to be... A- fair way down the line um we're going to take a little detour first with some friends of ours um it's a little spin-off um so if you go check out last match standing podcast you might get a sense of who we're working with there um and we've got a little surprise in the works that's hopefully not too far away amazing looking forward to it mate can't wait to hear it As always, thanks everyone for listening. Um, Appreciate the support. Um, Not a lot going on for me. There'll be more shows coming up. Richie and I will get together. I'm still trying to tie Carl down to get these WCW pay-per-views sorted and get back onto the actual (laughs) main story arc of the the show, but we'll get that sorted in the next week or so. And yeah, other than that, just give us a, a comment on Twitter, like and share. Let us know what you think about the show. And as always, would love a review if anybody feels inclined to do so. But other than that, nothing else happening. So thank you all for listening. Thank you again, Duncan, for coming on. It's been a pleasure as always, Lee. All right. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks a bunch. Cheers. The end is here. The game is over. No more pretending